All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you having already said with our mouths and pray with our hearts as well that we love you, Lord. And as we come and we have just saying those words, we come recognizing that we don't deserve you, though. We are not a people who are righteous of ourselves. And there has not been anyone outside of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was and is. You chose Abraham, but it was not because of his righteousness. Isaac, Jacob, not because of their righteousness. You chose Israel, but not because of their righteousness. And you, in grace upon grace, sent your Son into the world, that any and all who look to Him by faith belong to you, but not because of their righteousness, but because of Christ. And so we thank you for your Son this morning. And we come in light of Christ, that we would bow our knees even as we come to your word before this glorious Savior, who is the Savior of the world. We thank you and we ask for grace, Lord, as we come to Habakkuk, as we recognize that there is a tone to this book, a tone of gravity. And so help us, Lord, as we come, that we would come mindful of how your word is presented and drinking from it and how you would have us to hear it See it, behold it, and receive it, and respond to it. So help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we return to the minor prophet, Habakkuk. So last week, we began this very small book and this rather short series walking through this book with the opening words of this book. We met a man there in the opening words of chapter 1 who was in anguish. Habakkuk was living among a people who were walking in great wickedness. The people of Judah, they were living in rebellion against their God. They were breaking His covenant, a covenant that God had made with them mercifully, graciously, bringing them out of slavery of Egypt. And they said yes. And now their lives and everything about them say no. Habakkuk, he sees all this. He sees their wickedness and rebellion. And he is undone. And so he cries out to God and he says, O Lord, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? 
So he's, he's praying, why are the people of Judah being allowed to continue on like this? And God, he answered the prophet. If you remember from last week, he answered in a way that Habakkuk was not expecting. God's answer, answer shocks Habakkuk. He would raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, like a gavel dealing out justice and judgment upon the people of Judah. It's from this answer that Habakkuk stretches out his hands again to pray, inquiring, how can this be that such a wicked, evil nation like the Babylonians, who deserve judgment themselves, be the tool of God's judgment upon Judah? And so he's wrestling. And so the theme of this book looms large then over these verses this morning, and the theme is this. The theme is in the midst of confusing times, the righteous shall live by faith. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me then to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, and I'll read till chapter 2, verse 5. And where it's positioned in your Bibles is in the Old Testament, So, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And so, we'll read this word from God. So, may God's inspired word be heard, believed, and received this morning. Amen. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God? My Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with his hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? And mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. 
Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Amen. Well, here we have, as you see, Habakkuk's second complaint. So he began, as we saw last week, with a prayer of complaint before the living God, wondering what was going on in God. He answered, and now we have here a second complaint like the first, and it begins with a question. So again, you can see, and you can even perhaps hear in the way I read it, something of the distress of this prophet. What he had just heard from God and his answer left him really. Yet he knows his God. It is knowing the character of God that provides him the basis for his trust in God in the midst of unanswered questions. In our home group, last week we we met and we talked through the sermon and we talked about how there's a prayer of unbelief and there's a prayer of faith. Well, Habakkuk is coming with a prayer of faith, even as he's presenting this complaint before the living God. He's leaning into God and not leaning away from God in his prayer. And so he does come in view of God and his character, and he is entrusting himself, leaning upon God as he is trying to understand all these things. This is not a prayer of unbelief. And so likewise, as we see Habakkuk, he begins knowing the character of God. May we also know the character of our God. He begins by asking this rhetorical question, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And the implied answer is very obviously, yes. He is eternal. So what does that mean? It means the Holy God is from everlasting. He is eternal, never-ending, never-ceasing, never-exhausted, forever-existing, forever-alive, forever-God. It means that there has never been, nor will there ever be, a day when God is not God. God transcends time. He will always be. The psalmist, he exalts, before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The prophet Isaiah, he asks, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. While we have a beginning, God does not. It is from this then that 
Habakkuk resolves, we shall not die. Habakkuk comes confident that though God he has pronounced judgment upon Judah, somehow, some way, God's purposes will be brought about. The eternal God and His purposes will stand. They will hold fast and they will not be undone. Though the flame is coming and it does come to devour Judah, God will not allow them to be annihilated. And think about that. That also means hope for us. His promises to David will not falter either. They will not be moved. His throne will be established forever. Christ, our Davidic King, will come. So it matters what Habakkuk's anguish anguish and despair, he's asking this question, recognizing, God, you have made all these promises You are eternal. That means I can trust you. We will not die. Though how Habakkuk does not know. In the same way, regardless of how bad our days may be, or how how bad they may become, though people may trample upon this book, Though they may one day overrun our church buildings, even as they are doing already in other countries in China. One of the largest churches there was demolished. Though our days may persistently be filled with great hardship, our God's purposes stand fast. Though armies rise up, And though nations bare their teeth, though they declare His purposes are no more to us, His purposes stand ever still. Though they say, Christ has not come yet, His purposes stand. And they will come to pass. Though one day we will draw our last breath in this world, May our hearts whisper then and there, His word is sure. Not one word will fail. His purposes stand. Christ is mine. And this surety came from a man who had beheld his God. So also, May we be a people who behold our God. He speaks of God as one with whom he is familiar. He calls him here, my God, my Holy One, O Rock. He's not moving. He's my Rock. And he is our Rock, church. May it be that we who know Him, when the darkness comes and keeps coming, 
there and then, may the light of God's character shine through and say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's still true. Even if you get sick. Even if you don't know why what's happening to you is happening to you. He is still your refuge. Don't look anywhere else. That false rock will fail you. And you will fall. I remember visiting a couple in the hospital at the the church we came from before we came here to Haven. Godly man, godly woman, and they, uh, great couple. I remember conversations with him and them, and I remember one time uh, I was sitting in class with uh, the woman and just glanced over and saw her Bible. Wow. It was full of a picture of a woman who wanted to know her God. Well, she had defeated cancer once, but now it had returned. And so I, you know, come into the room. It was not easy news. But man, both of them were resolutely trusting in God. We don't know what's going to happen, but we trust Him. This was a couple who knew their God. How are you going to get through that? How are you going to face the times to come? We don't know what's coming. For your life, for your family, for this nation, for the nations. Who is your God? Do you know Him? The only way they were able to make it through that was because they had beheld their God and they knew Him. But as we come to this passage, we also see very obviously, though, it is a complaint. Habakkuk begins resolute that God is my rock. But this does not mean that he did not struggle. Nor does it mean you won't. So it is that we must recognize the struggle. We aren't to ignore it, nor are we to act as though it's not there. We don't delude ourselves to think that godly men and women won't suffer. I mean, this is exactly what we see with Habakkuk. He was a godly man. He knew his God, yet he was wrestling with these things. He's trying to understand, how is this the case? I don't understand. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? We... As Christ's church, we do not offer the world a fluffy, imaginary Christianity. We don't preach a gospel that says, come to Christ, 
and you will never despair again. You come to Christ and you will never fear again. Come to Christ and you will never weep again. You will never feel lonely again. You will never have unanswered questions again. That's not what we preach. Nor do we preach that you will be healthy and wealthy and have all your faith prayers answered. That's not the Gospel we preach and that's not the Gospel we find in the Word of God. Our Christianity is earthy. It's for the real world. I mean, a very real test you can ask of any belief system any religion or worldview is this. Does it correspond with the real world? Does it make sense of our world? Well, we can unashamedly and unabashedly say ours does. We don't believe in mere tales, but we believe in the One who came to meet us in the midst of our broken, sin-engrossed selves. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again for broken, messy sinners. And that's you and me. We can put our masks on well and good. That's us. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Otherwise, He wouldn't have had needed to come. That's why you're here. We're a messy bunch who need the unmessy Savior, the righteous one. We recognize the reality of brokenness. Habakkuk is struggling with this here. The Babylonians were going to swallow up the wicked Israelites and righteous Israelites alike. They were going to treat them shamefully. This is what he's getting at in verse 13. And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And so the Babylonians, they were a wicked bunch as well. They were known for... So this this language you see here in verse 14 and 15 talks about a hook and all these things. That's not just figurative language. They would actually do this. The Babylonians were known for inserting a hook into the lower lip of those they captured and stringing them in line one by one together and leading them on. That's difficult. And this is coming for you, Judah. You see why Habakkuk is struggling? Thus Habakkuk asks how the holy God can look at all this. Him who is of pure eyes than to see evil. He's asking, why God in all His holiness judges one and tolerates the other? Now we're not, we're not there yet to God's answer. and We're not going to even get there this morning and how He's going to deal with the Babylonians. It's verses 6-20. But he's asking, how could he use an evil people to bring about his holy judgment? How can you be okay with this, God? These are big questions. 
I mean, Habakkuk is very bold in this prayer as he leans into God. But note, though, here he does not say God is not in control. He does not challenge God's sovereignty. He does not question that. You are in control. That's why I'm asking these questions. He accepts and knows God is in control. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking these questions at all. So we live in a broken world, and God is in control. Both. But as Habakkuk asks these questions, there may have been, there may be an even more pertinent question to ask here. He doesn't ask it, but Romans does. How can God be holy, righteous, and good and not judge everyone? That's the question of Romans. How can He allow anyone to have mercy? How can you have grace? How can you be forgiven and Him still be good and righteous and holy? Romans tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So everyone would technically be the Babylonians. Yes, the Babylonians were evil, and yes, God judged Judah by them, but lest we forget, we all deserve to be judged, yet, mercy upon mercy, know what we have been given instead. God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. What mercy that God would not judge all of us but would instead bring a greater judgment down upon His own Son. The wrath of God and the weight of the sin of the world would be placed upon His Son on the cross. God's answer to the reality of our sin and brokenness and wickedness is not to push it under a rug, but to bring the gavel down the gavel of His judgment upon His very own Son for us. Such that any and all who look to Him may be saved. You may be here and you don't know Him. Recognize the incredible, bountiful, lavish love of God that He would come to save you, to save sinners, that you this very day, this very hour, could put your trust and faith in this Savior and He will save you and make you right with God this very day. Amen. So Habakkuk, he has made his complaint. And now with chapter 2, verse 1, he takes his stand at the watch post and he waits at the tower for God's answer. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for God's word. This is not defiance. It's reliance upon God. He would bind himself to God's word 
waiting for it. So also, like Habakkuk, bind yourself to the Word of God. In the midst of the brokenness and your unanswered questions, look to God's Word. Unlike Habakkuk, we we don't have to wait to hear God's revelation. He was waiting to hear from God. It doesn't tell us how long it was, but he had to wait for God's answer. You can imagine what was going through his heart and mind that whole time as he's waiting. But we don't have to wait. We have it. There it is. It's in your hands. It's in the pews. It's on your table at home. It's at the bookstore, ready to be heard, read, and applied. You have questions. God's given us His full revelation. So in our real world where we really struggle, God has given us real answers from His true Word. So bind yourself to it. In the good times and the bad, when the sun shines or and the storm rages, sit at your Master's feet and seek His face. A very present help in trouble. What does God do? But He answers him again. So God tells him to write down the vision here and to wait. He tells him and us to wait upon the Lord. His word will come to pass. Give it time. It might not come today or tomorrow, but it will come. Wait upon Him. Now this too is not easy. (laughs) But our God is good. If you haven't yet, there will be a day when you will have to wait upon the Lord. A good deal of Made and I in our marriage and our life has been waiting upon the Lord. There was a time when I was single prior to us being married, you know, of course, but I was single and I wondered if I'd ever be married. I had resolved then and there. I said, well, God, if you want me to be single, I'll be single and I'll, I'll serve you as much as I can by your grace for the rest of my days. And we got, then the Lord led me to Megan. Surprise. (laughs) And we got married, and then we waited again. Waited for children. We lost our first child. And then, the Lord answered a year, a month, and a day later with Isaiah sitting right there. I completed seminary. Four years go by. Lord, I want, I want to serve you. I'm ready. You know, I want to be in full-time ministry. And I'm waiting, Lord. Again and again. We've had to wait. But whether now or later, hear me when I say this. Waiting on the Lord 
is no evidence that God's word has failed. No. Right then and right there, know that God is in the waiting. In the waiting, God is working. He is growing and He is shaping and He is forming us into men and women who trust Him. There and then, God, He is molding and shaping you in ways you do not know. You won't know it at the time. You may see glimmers of it. But know that He is. I would not be the man I am now outside of all of that before this time. Even now, God, He is saying to you, trust me, dear child, I have not left you nor forsaken you. Wait and behold the work of God. And so thus it is, rightly then, that we come to our next verse here, which is really kind of the key verse of the book. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So before a watching world in confusing times, may you and I let faith characterize our lives. Let faith characterize your life. And this is, this is quite different from the self-trusting character of the proud. You see the contrast in that verse? Their soul is puffed up with self. The Babylonians, they trusted in their own hands. Hands that never satisfied. They never had enough. They would never find true rest. They would never find true treasure. They would never come to the king who brings true, a true lasting kingdom. That's what trusting in your two hands give you. That's why they're puffed up. And so it's appropriate to ask then, is that you? Are your two hands the hands in which you trust? When you come to the end of your life, woe to you if what you present to God is these. Look what I have done. To which he will reply, Yes, I see what you have done. And for that, you will be justly cast away forever. Your deeds justly condemn you. May it never be that you would come saying, Look what great skills and abilities I have and how I've used them to build my kingdom. To which he will reply, only if you had known me and looked to me by faith that they would not have been wasted and spent on what will not last. This, all that in contrast to the God-trusting character of the righteous. But the righteous shall live by his faith. These are those who, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the saints through the ages, who did not come to God with hands filled with their own deeds, skills, and abilities, but looked to their God as all-sufficient. You are enough. 
And you are the one who is my help. These are the ones who are justified by faith and declared righteous before God. And that is also why you will find this passage in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. Because this is characteristic of the saints throughout the ages, prior to the law, after the law, during the law, till the end of the age. The righteous shall live by his faith. Hence it is that in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, what do we see? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, even when the promises of God were left unfulfilled in their lifetime. They lived by faith in the one who had come as we look back to the one who did come. So may we live by such a faith in our Savior who has come. So let me ask question for you. Closing question. Who will you trust? Who will you trust? Will you be characterized by a trust in yourself? Or will you be among those who live by faith? Take my life. Take my hands. Take my voice, take my silver and my gold, take my will and make it thine, take my love, take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We come, Father, thankful for this word. We come humbled by it, recognizing at every single level of every part of our life, we are called that the righteous shall live by his faith. There is nothing in our lives, there is nowhere, no point by which we are called otherwise. We look to Christ as our hope. He is our life. And so may we live a life of faith in the midst of confusing times. May we trust you and lean upon you at Haven, as members, as visitors. Pray, Father, if there's any here who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, that today they would turn to him and they would be saved. We ask, Father, if there's anyone that needs to respond to this word from your word, we pray that you would help them to respond. What would that mean? Coming to you and seeking your face in prayer, asking for your help. What would that mean coming forward for baptism or membership or something else? May each of us respond to your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.